this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Mullinax and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, Pacifica enlists Dipper to help rid the Northwest Mansion of a ghost before he wrecks havoc on her fancy party. We're talking about Gravity Falls Northwest Mansion mystery this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. We've taken a little bit of break from Gravity Falls, so just now I was just like, what am I reading here? Yeah, coming back on another Family Monster episode. This one has some punches to it, I must say. That's what I'm saying. It, it, it's the inverse of, uh, what's his name's story? Oh, Gideon's. Oh, I it's see what you're saying. It's the inverse of Gideon. Gideon's a monster, and in this one her parents are monsters. Oh my god, yeah. The, the, that's my very first note is the Northwests are the worst. <laughs> they are. They're so mean. Oh, oh. Well, we've taken a little break. You, how's life? Touch back in. Well, it's not a break to anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Nobody else is gonna notice it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun getting back into Gravity Falls, though. Like it was kind of just. I don't. I don't know how to explain it. Like. Like, just so you know, listeners, we took about a, what, a two to three week break, you know, for like holidays and stuff like that, and just to take a breather, and so coming back to Gravity Falls, I was like, oh yeah, I want it's like coming back to all my friends who have been waiting for me, and it's so warm and fuzzy, and I love it. <laughs> you know, there's just something about Gravity Falls, which is just so like, homey, and like, you know, horrific horror and mystery way. <laughs> so... Well, did you like this one? Yeah, I like this one a lot. I thought you might like this one with all the little horror elements. Yeah, it's pr pretty much horror all the way through, and it has some good uh, class <laughs> class elements in it. Yes, it does. It, it absolutely does. Well, you ready to get into it? I am. All right, so... <clears throat> Northwest Mansion Mystery is the 30th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on February 16th, 2015. It was written by Alex Hirsch, Jeff Rowe, and Mark Rizzo. The director was Matt Braley, and the storyboard artists were Emmy Cesariga, Von Tara, Luke Webb, and Alonzo Ramirez Ramos. Some extra information for you. The Ghost of Northwest Manor is voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, who is also the voice of Sheriff Blubbs. Marius von Funderschauser is voiced by Matt Chapman. Before the episode aired, it was accidentally mislabeled Northwest Mansion Noir, which also showed up for a time on IMDb. Because of the nature of the show with all its mysteries, some fans thought that that was a purposeful choice until Alex Hirsch cleared it up that it was actually just a mistake. This is the first time a shortened version of the theme song is used. Neither Seuss nor Stan are in this episode. Sluice. Sluice. Sluice! Sluice! Open up the sluices. <laughs> the sluice is out! The sluice is loose! The sluice, sluice. <laughs> Seuss was slated to I think that's why I said Seuss because Seuss was slated to appear in some form but it was cut for time what about Wendy was Wendy in there 
I don't remember seeing her. She might have been in the background. Yeah, um, she might have been like in with the villagers or something. Uh huh. But I don't remember seeing her. I I know I saw her dad. We saw uh, to kind of give a hint of what we're going to be talking about in the journal entry. We saw one of her ancestors. <laughs> The ghost is was related to Wendy. Anyway, where was I? Throughout the episode, Pacifica begins dropping her regular speech patterns, which has always been present in previous episodes, further showing the character development. So this is a bit of a connection to another piece of media from the sh- from the show. There is a side book called Dipper and Maple's Guide to Mystery and Nonstop Fun. One of the cryptograms in that book, when it's decoded, said that Grinda would marry Rich. We see in this episode that she hits it off with Marius. And this is a cool little note that we will continue later. McGucket's laptop shows that there is a 21-hour countdown. It was 21 days between this episode and the next episode. And I will continue the second part of this note next week because there's a really cool kind of like fandom thing that happened in that 21 days. And finally... Fans were really concerned for Pacifica (laughs) after this episode came out and her living situation after it aired, and they were concerned about her parents. So in the same interview with Rye Kaiser from The Mary Sue that we read from last week's episode, The Love God, Alex Hirsch addressed this by saying, I think a lot of fans read more than I meant into the awfulness of Pacifica's parents. I never imagined them to be abusive, just very controlling, living vicariously through their daughter, treating her like a prize more than a person. I grew up in a town with some rich families, and it was something I witnessed more than once. Parents trying to make their kids extensions of their own reputation. Pacifica's only a kid, so I think she continued to live with them. But I think she starts having a very needed rebellious phase to discover who she is outside of her family name. Well, I don't know, Alex Hirsch. I think we all understand the implications of the bell. Oh, yeah. Like... <laughs> the, the, bell has, the bell has implications that are abusive. That's all. That's all I gotta say about that. You know, if you if you're ringing a bell to condition somebody, you have to have negatively uh, conditioned them <laughs> in order to do that. Like that is an actual form of abuse, and I think he had to kind of like smooth that over because people were like really concerned for Pacifica. Like I remember after this episode aired, like people were writing him, like people are like, "Is she okay?" Whenever he did ask me anything, like people would ask about it, like on Reddit. That's a separate thing in itself. If people are are concerned about the well being of a cartoon care of a character that's not in reality of course she's okay (laughs) yeah yeah but like people were worried about like the implications for the character yeah there was a second part of that but i can't touch on it at the moment because it had spoilers so but like he kind of went more into it about her her life later and how he as the creator imagined her life and she's okay (laughs) she's okay but uh yeah people were really concerned because that bell is not okay. Like, there's nothing okay about that bell. <laughs> and it, it makes me cringe every time I see it. Even now, even now I know it's there. I still cringe seeing that bell. Yeah. Anyway, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons is broken into parts. Part one will talk about story themes and character. Part two will read from Dipper's journal entry. Part three will be the, the cipher corners and connections to previous episodes. And part four, well, somewhere is, where's your, the- your speculation corner? 
Somehow I got caught, taken out of the notes. I don't know. Yeah. That's you. I know. I it's know. On it's my you. notes. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. That's all that counts. <laughs> oh, I must have accent. Well, also then Chris gets a speculation corner, which I'm going to... Chris is speculation corner. Now I'm going to highlight it and make it big old font. Bam. And then we're going to change it to a color. Let's make it um oh, a nice red. There you go. All right, Chris. What was your favorite part of the episode? They used to be about the History Channel. I thought you would like that. I love that they have a stuffed dodo hanging around. I think I might have seen the dodo before, but I just wanted to mention the dodo again. In in, in the Mystery Shack? Yeah. The Fancy Man and Lumber Justice. And there's a lot of Fancy Man. Like, which one? The Butler. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were the, the one that did the snooty laughter, which they were like, the snootiest of laughter. And you had one one guy who was just like, oh, 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 No, that's a fancy lad. Lad. Fancy man is a butler. I like Lumber Justice, too. I was rooting for the ghost. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. You should be rooting for the ghost, because the Northwest are horrible. <laughs> I mean, that's their whole point of this story, is they're horrible, horrible people. One of my favorite moments of Gravity Falls is the whole exchange where Dipper's just like, oh, she's the worst, and I'll tell her to her face. And he opens the door, and there's Pacific, and he goes, you're the worst, and slams it in her face. <laughs> it's just such a deadpan delivery. Well, also, everybody's expecting him to, to, that was, you know, the joke would have been that he couldn't say it couldn't say that to her face but nope he does it so it was a good little reversal of expectation joke yeah and it still gets me every time i love the moment after pacifica hugs dipper where she's just like can i just pay you not to say anything <laughs> <laughs> a little the tiny moment is after grinda smacks marius in the face like he's holding his nose and he looks at her and he has little tiny stars in his eyes and it's just like uh -huh. a cute little moment of animation and it, just, it gets me every time where he's just like <laughs> well grinda you know she has that that sort of germanic frulein look you know what i mean put her in pigtails and in like a traditional frulein outfit you know with a with him in later hosen and they would look right at home in in austria yeah yeah absolutely and my my last favorite moment, and it's probably because I have this gif and I use it all the time, is when the gates are opening, you see Tyler get him guy. Cute little Tyler. He just is just like, get him, get him. And his face is so cute. I think he said, get it, which <laughs> I thought was even funnier. That's what I say to my cat every time I feed her. Get Go it. On, get it. Get it. Get that. But his face is so cute because his eyes are just so big and he's so happy and he's just in like this bright light of just like, ah! <laughs> All right. Well, those are my favorite parts. Um, do you want to talk? start with Pacifica or talk about the ghost or what? Where do you want to go? Well, let's start with her parents. We already started on them. Oh, my gosh. That. Uh... Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the bell because there there is a fear in Pacifica, like if she is so scared to get a carpet dirty versus a ghost trying to kill her, there's stuff happening. Take your shoes off. <laughs> Take your shoes off and run over to the mirror. But that takes too much time. 
I guess it doesn't take as much time as they argued about it. I know, I know. <laughs> but, you know. But it's the conflict. But yeah, I mean, that says a lot if she is so... And like, just how much she revels in the end of destroying that carpet. Like, at the end, and she's just like, I'm gonna destroy this! <laughs> like, there's there's so much. Like, And I love how they... Normally, if this was probably any other story, the your kind would also double for a lot of other meanings if Dipper was, like, say, black or brown or or gay or something like that. Like, your kind would have a ton of weight to it. They brush on that later on in the story with the basketball player. That is true! It's very light, but it's there. Obviously, obviously he invited the basketball player because he's, uh, he's famous. But he's still only so tolerant of him, you know. He's just sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> then yeah, I mean, it's not just like class, but the the Northwest clearly, and we see that, like we saw there how they cheated the natives um, in the paintings and stuff like that. So let's just call it what it is. They're probably racist, classist assholes. Yeah, they they are every collection of cliches of awful rich people, from being shallow and and duplicitous to being snooty and even given the snooty accents and the upper class accents that nobody even has anymore you know that aren't even a part of our upper class anymore but they're just given every every little mustache twirl of of the bad guy rich people in town we had a family like that in our little town ah so you know all about them with a daughter who was like my sister's enemy (laughs) was she the mabel and the other one was the pacifica yeah Jackie Wetmore, yeah, the Wetmores, and they were they were very rich, and Jackie Wetmore was very pretty, and and uh, but she wasn't blonde though. She was she had dark hair, but she was very aloof and and snooty. And my sister hated her. Was your sister Mabel? Hated her. No, my sister wasn't very Mabel-like. You are kind of Dipper-like though. I could see you being ten years old, being like, let me find a mystery in a journal. Oh, yeah, I would have loved to have found Bigfoot at 10 years old, for sure. I will say, though, you can absolutely tell that Nathan Fillion is having a really fun time voicing Preston Northwest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a fun character, so... I I think because of having her against the backdrop of how absolutely terrible her family is... It makes Pacifica's redemption handled really well. You know, we haven't had Pacifica a lot in this show. She's only been really featured in a handful of episodes. So I think they do a really good job of building on the groundwork started in the Gulf War. Because we saw those walls starting to come down with Mabel in their little mini-golf competition. And now it's coming down through Dipper. I think they've always, they've always, except for like when she first, first showed up, they've always kept that thread of at her core she's a kid yeah that's true actually now i think about it because when she's in i think it's time traveler's pig ad has to be because that's waddle's first episode she ended up winning waddles i'm like why would pacifica of all people want a pig because she's a kid of course you would want a pig of course it ended up being waddles and destroyed mabel and then they had to go back and fix time but yeah and and i think that is the most important thing to remember about pacifica is she's a kid she is 12 years old just like they are there's only so much I think she feels that she can do against her parents. She lives with them. They are her parents. No, well, rich parents have way more of a hold over their kids than poor parents do. I'll tell you that right now. That's my experience in life. 
that that rich kids are often under more pressure from their parents. Their parents will pay for them to go to college, but then they'll send them to take a major that their parents want, not them. I went to I went to a I went deeply in debt in a college where there were a lot of kids who were whose parents were paying for them to be there and were subject to their parents every whim. If they if they crossed their parents, they would get cut off from their college, you know, or what or whatever. Rich parents have a lot to hang over their kids. But just talking in general, like I'm 33 and I still have difficulty standing up to my parents. You know, so it's it's even harder for like a twelve year old who you know they can they control what she eats, how she eats, what she like her i like her things, everything they pay for. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, okay, I have to say, I love Dipper and Pacifica. I love that ship. It's such a cute little ship. I love fan fiction and fan art when they're like teenagers, and they're like. You know, she doesn't know how to date properly, but she's trying. <laughs> and, like, Mabel's like, this is how you do Valentine's Day. And she's just like, I don't know what that is. Teach me. And Dipper's just like, why is this encrusted in gold? <laughs> like, <laughs> I love the Dipper and Pacifica ship so much. Chris, I love them. Chris. Dipsifica? Pacifiper? Pipper? Pipper. Pipper, that's a good one. Pipper is a good one. That's the keeper. I'm trying to remember what what is the name of the Pacifica Dipper ship. There's a there's a name for it. Pacifica. The Pacifica Dipper ship is. I like the sound of that too. Rolls right off the tongue. Dipifica. Dipifica. That sounds like a disease. That sounds like a disease of like your feet or something. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to derail that. Well, no, I was looking and I I came across uh fucking pine cest. Anyway. <laughs> oh Jesus. It's called pine oh. pine when it's polyamorous. Don't I will say people ship Mabel and Pacifica together and yeah. Anyway, I I think Mabel and Pacifica are cute little ships too, but I prefer the Dipper and Pacifica. They're too young to ship. Well, not They should be shipping. Oh, oh yeah, like this is this is that like cute like first crush kind of thing. What I'm talking about is you know like when they're older. Like I like reading like fanfics and stuff like that of like when they're like 18 and they reunite and you know like maybe maybe like she moves out to California with Dipper and has to like learn how to be a normal person. I'm talking about that, but and actually that's after the crush storyline. That's why I think this is actually really, cause, you know, most of these kind of shows do have those kind of crushes. Like we were, we were just talking about like Star Wars Rebels and our other things, and we have the whole like Ezra having a crush on Sabine. These are very normal kind of things in the these kind of shows, and you know, like first crushes. And what I like about Dipper and Pacifica on the backdrop of like the Windy Crush storyline is Dipper and Pacifica actually feel, like, very natural. Like, you can see how, like, this is the beginning of them maybe, like, hanging out more and being friends, and then, like, one day maybe being romantic. Like, this is just the beginning of a friendship here. It it does open a really interesting conversation, though, about animation and, like, shipping, because all these characters are underage. Like, that's, yeah. 
Like, it's, and, but the thing is, is, like, there's this fine line when it comes to animation. Like, Steven Universe goes through this as well. Like, there's a character named Steven and Connie, and they end up start dating. But they're also underage. And there's this whole kind of conversation that's been going around for a while now of, like, should people ship these underage characters when first relationships, like, in middle and high school are a very normal part of this genre? But, like, where is that line when it comes to shipping and fandom? And it's been a really it's it's it can be like a really pretty much like it's a nuanced conversation that a lot of people are not willing to have time with nuances and that's when the purity culture coming up like you shouldn't ship them at all because they're underage and i'm like but dipper and pacifica are age where you know like these are first crushes and this is a very important milestone in people's lives because i remember being in middle school and having my first crush i had my first kiss when i was in seventh grade and it was my like my first boyfriend. And so it's it's this really weird kind of conversation that people are really I, I I'm happy to ship different Pacifica, but I also know the nuance of like I don't wanna see or read or or like partake in any kind of fandom that's plus eighteen unless they're plus eighteen in that fic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but like it's there's there's been a really kind of growing talk about like how do we handle these underage ships which should be talked about i'm not saying it shouldn't be when you have underage characters like how do you handle things like looking you know there's a difference between like cute fan art of like mabel and Miranda like like get like sharing a kiss and then like explicit fan art like there's those are different these are very nuanced conversations that need to be had but purity culture is just trying to cancel all of those because they're like well that makes you a pedophile and i'm like because i think they'll be cute in their 20s when they're married <laughs> what all this stuff is weird to me because at the end it kind of has no consequences <laughs> until it gets into the legal you know there people can go say you can't do this and people say okay and do it anyway and it's, it's very strange to me did a lot of the shows you grow up with have these kind of like first crush romantic storylines no. Okay. No, they didn't have storylines. They they, they, <laughs> they just really... didn't have storylines. No, they didn't. They didn't have. They didn't have storylines. They had a plot in every episode, but they didn't have characters developing their characters over the course of it. It was cartoons were set up as a, a format to have a similar story superimposed over it every week. In the long form, you know, in the half-hour cartoon shows. Scooby-Doo was the same episode every week. And if any characters were introduced, they were introduced for that week as part of the people in the town they were in. There were never any romances between any of the characters in Scooby-Doo. Over the years, of course, people have people assumed Fred and, um, not Velma, what was the other girl's name, were dating. Daphne? Daphne, just because they were both the, like cheerleader and jock looking characters but there was never any overt like daphne's my girlfriend or fred let's let's share a, a milkshake together you know or anything like that there was never anything that there at least not so recently yeah no that's that that is a recent yeah well that's that might be developed in scooby-doo now because it's part of the story way they tell stories now it, it actually is because in one of i I forgot which of, which of the recent series, but there was a recent series where Velma and Shaggy started dating, and then they broke up because Velma realized she's a lesbian. <laughs> so, and like, and now Velma has a girlfriend. 
Yeah, that's all just stuff people have have talked and speculated about over over the years. But like, it's now actually in Scooby Doo canon. Recently, the um the creators confirmed it because they were like, we could only do so much in the show that like it, that Cartoon Network would allow us to do. But they're like, yeah, the reason Velma broke up with Shaggy because she realized she was a lesbian, and that girl that she starts hanging out with is her girlfriend. Yeah, so they yeah they didn't they didn't they would introduce like Scrappy Doo and stuff like that who would be just another little the worst. you know character that would just do the same thing every the worst every character. Time. <laughs> Oh no, there were there were many there, there were many worse characters. He I mean he's remembered as the worst because he survived through time through Scooby-Doo, but there was parades of terrible cartoon characters in the 70s and 80s on on TV that just didn't last that were just terrible copies of copies of copies even with the same vo- voice actor doing the same shtick in them and stuff. So it was yeah it was it was a dark time there was there wasn't stuff like there weren't stories like that the the stories were all just sort of based on whatever the conceit of the show was the only like sort of show that i remember wasn't even animated it, it was the saturday morning show land of the lost would oh, have yeah. like character development in it and and things would change over the course of time it went forward in a linear fashion and things would change episode to episode but that made that was very unusual for the time. So, so do you think that that's why this is kind of weird to you? Because like people actually talking about ships and stuff like that, because it's not something that your generation grew up with. Yeah, well, yeah, and and I don't, well, I don't get the whole concept. I don't, I get, I don't get the whole concept of getting invested in in romantically linking up characters in in store you know in stories i don't i like it's just not my <laughs> thing i don't did you not do that with like han and leia no not re- well i mean you you would speculate and stuff but i wasn't gonna re- sit down and write a story about it or i was so dumb about that romance stuff that i didn't even figure han and i figured han and or luke and leia were gonna hook up right until empire strikes back you know yeah <laughs> And I was just like, well, that's not fair. Luke's supposed to end up with the princess. I was just raised on the stories where Luke Skywalker and the princess would have been their boyfriend and girlfriend. And he saw her and thought she was cute when he saw her video. Then they then they kissed before they swung over. So I figured that's just how that was going. But not, I, I just I never thought like, oh, this character and this character should be together or, or something like that. Like That's so interesting yeah. because I, I wonder if that's just... I don't want to say a generational thing, but kind of a, an individual you think or a generational thing. Because my mind just went to like looking for Leia, which was a documentary by Dr. Annalise Ophelian. And the first episode was about fan fiction and the original fanzines, which were, you know, there were women from your generation um, writing this fan fiction between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. And in writing those fan scenes and speculating about like who was going to end up romantically together, so I don't want to say that maybe it's a generational thing, but maybe it's it's uh, like a gender thing, yeah. I, th- I think I think women are definitely more bent towards writing not not generally fan fiction, but the rom- you know slash fiction, especially when when I've read slash fiction that looked like they were written by a guy, it seemed like they were just trying to be funny or gross out or something like that. Like when I did the worst Star Wars fan fiction that I could find or, or slash fiction that I could find, 
it sounded like, you know, a teenage boy just trying to write the, the grossest thing he could find. And whereas the Star, the, the Star Trek fiction written by women of Kirk and Spock were thought out, <laughs> you know, romantic stories with intense inner dialogue and they were they were serious attempts to to do something whereas so yeah i i I think it whether it's endemic to the female psyche or just because of of societal things or something it just seems that women are more prone to to ship people it it, there has been studies about it and women and non-binary fans tend to write more fan fiction but that like in it's always interesting when I actually meet men who write fan fiction or even just talk about ships. I love talking with men who talk about ships. And in fact, our Brian, our friend Brian from Pink Milk just had his first ship. That and he has never like shipped anything before in his life. And like he is just like, oh my god, is this what it's like to be Hope? <laughs> I think women are just more allowed in our society to address their emotion, you know, their emotional aspect of them and. And people in in the like trans community and stuff are working with squaring their identity within this society and stuff. That is actually very true because it is very common. Um, I've read so many think pieces about how queer fans and non-binary fans and trans fans use fan fiction as a way to explore their their gender yeah. and their sexuality. Yeah, like there's been plenty yeah. of think pieces written about that. Well, it's a it's a safe way it's a safer way to do it than say like talking with your friends in high school or something like that, you know, and risking whatever ostracization that you could get. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I gotta tell you, like you know, thinking about when Scott Gardner and I I haven't read those things in years. But when we used to write our sequels to the Star Wars stories with our parody characters and stuff like that, I'm sure there was a lot of our psychology <laughs> coming out in that. So, but like, yeah, it's it's never been, I mean, it's never been anything that appealed to me. Like, I don't know. I've never, I've never read a fan fiction that, you know, like a slash fiction and I've, and, and, and I've read them cause you know, I'm curious towards them and I like dirty stuff. And I've just never read one that was that made me go like, ooh, hotsy totsy. You don't want to read my my Thrawn Grand Inquisitor sex scenes, Chris? <laughs> oh, I'll read them. <laughs> and I, it, it's not like I might not enjoy them, but I I don't think I'm gonna get uh, I don't think I'm get hot and bothered over them though. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry, I, I mean no, I'm no, sure no. You don't writer. have anything it's to apologize just, for. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe I will, but you know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the only reason I was wondering if it was possibly generational, which I don't think it is, because no, there there are no. there are accounts. There are people older than me that were writing. I mean, the people that started really that as a more fan, you know, in an organized fashion were Star Trek. Star Trek was the or- kind of was one of like the biggest start, but I think fan fiction first got its start with Alice in Wonderland. I think. Well, Alice in Wonderland was almost like slash fiction or something, you know. That was like him writing about his inappropriate crush <laughs> or inappropriate muse or whatever you want to call it during that time. Okay, here you go, here you go. Here's a very thank you Wikipedia 
quick little thing. So the term fan fiction has been used in print as early as 1939. It, in this earliest known citation, it is used by in a despairing, uh, despairingly way to refer to amateur science fiction opposed to pro-fiction. Before copyright, before the adoption of copyrights in modern sense, it was not unusual for authors to copy characters, if not entire plots. For example, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet was Pyramus and Thisbe's you know, as we know, and stuff like that, were based on re- fiction of other authors. The works of Jane Austen remained one of the most popular works to make unauthorized depictions of, one with notable John o- Austen fanfiction being old friends and new fancies. So yeah, I mean, I, I constantly joke to say that Shakespeare was was writing fanfiction. I'd love to get my hands on old fanfiction like that. Must be really interesting. I bet you, it, even... It might be even more interesting the worse it is, you know, because, like, bad writing from that time period. I wonder what it sounds like. Yeah. Many unauthorized stories of Sherlock Holmes by Arthur Conan Doyle have been created, including The Adventures of Two Collaborators by J.M. Barry, who is, of course, the writer of Peter Pan. So, yeah, I mean, it was... There were so many different versions of The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Of course, there were so many different versions of Alice in Wonderland. But when fanfiction really became like a modern phenomenon was because was through the Star Trek fandom, which was the first people to really start putting out like fanzines. Yeah, because it started, it literally, I think, coincided with the invention of the, the mimeograph machine. You know what I mean? Oh, it yeah, went, yeah. Oh, it says right here that these fanzines were produced via offset printing and mimeograph and mailed to other fans and sold at science fiction conventions for a small fee to help pay to to recoup the costs. It was a tech. It was a technical jump. And then the next technical jump was the Internet. And before the Internet happened, I was among them. And there were lots of people who were there were um, these artist chains. And you would you would through magazines and stuff or fans they called them fanzines. One of them, oh, what the hell was the name of it? There was uh, Fact Sheet Five. Fact Sheet Five was just like it was like a giant just list of things you could order, like records and stuff that people made themselves. And if you got on one of these chains, you would put your name on your chain and you would receive a package from somebody. And then in that package, you would receive another name and address of the person you had to make something and send to. So there are people making, you know, little books and magazines and stuff. And you would just get packages of art and people would would network. And then the Internet came along and then all of a sudden everybody can distribute the stuff. I'm sure people were writing stuff in their rooms and stuff for their own enjoyment but it doesn't that that stuff doesn't really take off until you can share it and and people can go back and forth. So, you know, the printing press was one big technological achievement. The printing press is also owned by rich people. So, printing something was a big to do to do it. Yeah, the mimeograph you could have was the first time you could have it in your house print your own, you know, newsletter about the commies or about the aliens or about whatever it is that was bothering you. And, you know, and then you would subscribe to a magazine and meet other, write to other people and have find like-minded people and stuff. It's definitely just, it's not something that's like developed in our culture. I think it's part of just the human psyche. It's part of stories. Stories take take life in people's heads and you know maybe people hear a story and inside their head they're not done with it isn't that what a lot of the great authors like homer like the odyssey and the iliad they were vocal tales and stories yeah 
that's how that all that stuff was yeah yeah a lot of that early stuff is just somebody would tell a story and then sometimes they would get glopped together and collected and that's why greek and roman myths um vary like so wildly from book to book to book to book because they were it was it was an oral practice until it was written down by people like homer and even then, only the really the rich could afford it. So, like, you would have a scribe retelling the story, and then other people would go retell the story. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So, aw, this is a fun conversation. Thank you, Pacifica Dippership, <laughs> for getting us on this conversation. Let's bring us back to Gravity Falls. What, what, how do you think that they handled Pacifica's redemption? It was as nuanced as you're going to get and realistic as you're going to get in a show like this. But I think they handled it well for what it was because it's not even really a redemption. It is a redemption in this story for sure, because it's a redemption sort of actually for family. But I don't think Pacifica is going to be a completely, I don't think she's going to be a completely sympathetic character from now on. I don't think this is going to be the thing that completely finishes off her rivalry with Mabel and stuff, you know. It's a process that they got to go through, but there's a chink in her armor for sure, a big chink in her armor, and a big wedge between her and her parents now, too, because her parents threw her under the bus, basically. Oh, absolutely. The thing that stands out to me me the most about this story is Dipper telling her, like, you don't have to be your parents. And I think that's a really important lesson to to talk about well not to talk about but for them to address in the show because i think there's a lot of people who are you know in the shadow of their parents and in the expectations of their parents as well and i think that's why like dipper and pacifica are really good balances for each other because pacifica i think she's different from mabel in relationship to dipper because mabel's role to dipper is to like be the heart and to remind him of of his feelings and his heart and stuff like that but pacifica offers this kind of different relationship to where outside of you know he he's usually the smartest person in the room and then you have pacifica who's just not impressed i like that kind of relationship between them but on the other side too like Dipper, represents... Dipper genuinely doesn't like her at first. So yeah. he genuinely genuinely isn't like she's not like Wendy who he's got a crush on. He doesn't secretly have a crush on Pacifica. He, she's he, the worst. he does not like her. <laughs> right. They have to actually organically build a friendship before they can date. So like instead of Dipper chasing after his idea of Wendy, you could actually have them ha- being Having, although they're they're too, you know, I'm I'm putting years on them in the dating world, Let's but just you talk know, about them as just, friends, as friends, as far as far as that goes, like it'll take some time for Dipper to actually, you know, th- this gave an end to where Dipper's like, okay, she might be an okay person, but if they ever if they ever become a romantic interest, they have a they'll have a more solid foundation because they had to actually build a friendship first. Yeah. To get to that, uh, she had to actually also build a personality that Dipper can can like because he actively does not like her personality. He's not going to be just like all of a sudden like, oh, duh, she's pretty, you know, he's he's already knows too much about her. So she actually has to do some work to to get it. Dipper. And that's where I like Dipper in this role for Pacifica is he forces her to do the work. You know, because it all comes down to her. Like, he points out the flaw. She knows it's a flaw because I, I, the little scene after he talks to the ghost and he comes back, like, she looks so happy. He, she's just like, Dipper, you came back. And he calls her out. He's like, you lied to me. 
and she knows it and he calls her out she has to she gets called on the mistake she acknowledges the mistake and then she has to work to fix the mistake because she's the last one standing well she also and she gets different she could she has that that moment where she could go into the panic room with her parents yeah and then and she thinks about it but then she realizes that dipper got turned into wood for her for 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 this yeah and her parents are about to just let let him stay let everybody stay turned into wood oh let everyone die because he was about to burn the manor down with them all in it right right yeah like it's not just let them be wood it's burn the manor down and kill them all yeah yeah, that's right yeah so I, I really like the role that Pacifica and Dipper play in each other's stories. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a good way to sh- kind of show Dipper as a heroic character. You know, usually he's with Mabel or with Seuss, but he's with someone he doesn't like. And he forms a bond with her. And it, it's just a really cool way of, like, how they handle Pacifica and Dipper's story in this. I just had a thought about this. And this is where this show might run into a little trouble, as we were talking about... um earlier with the bell because the bell and her parents telling her come into the safe room and stuff those are all kind of edgy humor because her parents are basically saying be a sociopath and let everybody all these people that you know and some of your friends burn just to save our asses and we're the ones who caused the trouble so it's not much of a choice for it's like be a sociopath murderous or pull the pull the lever but it's like that's a harsh that you know her that's I mean, the, the, her parents are monsters, and the bell make them make some monsters. On the Family Guy, that joke would just go flying right by. You know what I mean? Or even on something even milder than Family Guy, but still like Simpsons or something like that. But on this show, which is very keyed into people's emotional stuff, when you just throw away a joke like that, it, it's subverted by the fact that people have been watching the show that's been developing people's emotional is aware of people's emotional interior and the effects of things on people. So like if, if it had just been a show that was not really, that was more superficial and stuff, those jokes wouldn't, wouldn't feel a little weird there, you know? But because we know these characters, like we cringe when we hear that bell. Well, it's dark. It's really, it's really that the, the implications of that are really, really dark. And those things show up in this and, and it might be a mistake. It might be times when they just go a little too far because they're, they're sort of taking some of the modern comedy beat ideas from stuff like Family Guy and South Park and Simpsons and then bringing the content down to a level for kids that's appropriate for kids. But every once in a while, you're going to get because as an adult, sometimes you don't think things are as dark or things don't seem as dark when you're joking around about them. But yeah. Yeah, but I mean that 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 when he was ringing the bell, that was just as creepy as when we saw. Why can't I never remember his name? I keep wanting to call him Gabriel. Uh, oh, Gideon. Gideon. When uh when we see Gideon with his parents, and it's just like, oh my God, this is a uh the a monster house of trauma. Yeah, and this episode is it's not keyed into the the full mystery and stuff, which is where usually the dark stuff has been showing up, is with the Bill Cipher sort of stuff. So and it's it's with the kids and stuff at a party. So we think it's it, it it just sort of catches you by surprise. So talking about the dark stuff, what did you feel like? How, how did you like the ghost as the monster of the week? I like that ghost. I like the ghost general in general. 
I like new, uh, like complicated or ghosts that are more complicated and also a little sympathetic. So I, I liked him. He was a riot. He he was. I'm I'm not a big ghost guy either. Ghosts aren't my favorite monsters at all. But he he was a good one. Yeah, I like that he got a chance to be just like Dipper. You screwed up, man. Those guys are jerks. <laughs> Dipper's like, yeah, dude, don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> I know my the girl that I just spent my entire afternoon helping just screwed me over. I, I love the whole thing because it. I I I'm sorry. I love to I love to see the uh, bash the rich, man. I'm not a big fan of the rich. I mean, this is a caricature of stuff, but that's stuff that people do. You know, this the this was a night. I I like the idea of a story for kids about the. Not that it's realistic, but about that, like the rich people get it. Well, it isn't realistic because the rich people only get pay for, you know, get consequences for their action from a ghost, <laughs> not from real life doesn't provide. It's it's actually it is kind of realistic because life does not provide any justice for the Northwest's. It, it takes a, it takes a vengeful ghost of a lumberjack who got killed with his own axe. Hit in the head with his own axe. I love that backstory too, and how it's handled. And I'm gonna read, like I said, I'm gonna read from the journal for it in a minute. But like, that's one of Wendy's ancestors, which I think, like, when I came across that in journal, like that adds like an extra layer because we know Wendy and her family, and like we're sympathetic to them, which I think adds another kind of layer of darkness onto the Northwest because they're characters that we know, and you can kind of just assume that lumberjacks are probably connected to Wendy and somehow they worked every they worked they worked social stuff social inequality in it they they worked environmental the environmental impact of the Northwest because once they cut down all the trees for their giant mansion, it turned the whole side of the mountain into a mudslide, which killed all the lumberjacks, which, which built their house. It's all the, it's just basically all the social crimes of the rich through, through, you know, in the history of America squeezed into one story for kids. I think that's why it's so satisfying at the end when you get all the townspeople coming in. Um, and you just see them just trashing their house. And, like, yeah, like Pacifica says, like, you know, they're probably going to lock it up next year. But at least for one night, the Northwest got at least a little bit of punishment. And they probably got a lot of their shit stolen, too. <laughs> I wish I, I, I wish just in the sake of propaganda that the, the townspeople came in and just acted like regular, regular people. Instead of being like, yeah, look, the unmashed, unwashed masses actually are animals. But... It's consistent with <laughs> people in the in, in the last two seasons of the show. So that's also very Simpsons like is the the town is just like the ultimate and unwashed mob. The only other note I had about the ghost was we can't have little old gay ladies, but we can have dead animals spewing blood. <laughs> the talking taxidermy animals was totally uh, evil dead. Evil Dead reference. <laughs> the only other thing I just wanted to touch on is I, I like kind of like the B plot with uh, Candy, Mabel, and Grinda, only just because like I really like the Grinda side of it. I just I'm just like good for you, Grinda. <laughs> well, it's a B plot that doesn't really have a lesson to it. It's just fun because they don't really learn the lesson that they have to work together. They just actually learn the lesson that like. Don't, 
Actually, I I disagree with you because the whole thing was that Grinda was willing to uphold the friendship bargain and Candy and Mabel were the ones going against it and Grinda ended up like being the honorable one and she got the guy. And I think that was a good like Well, that's just, so she's sort of she's sort of rewarded for her good for her good actions, but it, like the lesson I got more from it was you can't predict cuteness. And also that that they were being they they were being kind of rude to their friend because well oh, yeah, they were. you know they they don't they don't say you know because she's larger than them or something but they 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 translate it into you know because she's aggressive with her flirting and stuff like that like yeah they learned the lesson that like yeah it might not be working for some people but for this little guy <laughs> he's all down for magic that. <laughs> yeah that, that, that romance is just like this un- unpredictable chemistry or whatever. But I think they weren't even really thinking. I think it was just a fun subplot. It leaves the future open for Rich Grinda being a countess somewhere. If anything, it just gave a dipper stakes because he knows that there's a ghost attacking Northwest Manor and his sister's in there. Yeah, Other otherwise, yeah, that's true. Because otherwise, we probably wouldn't really have cared if all those people got turned to wood. But good for Grinda, man. Good for you. I I like how they handle. You know, you're just talking about how like they never say that like she's large and like has this manly voice and stuff like that. And I actually really like how they handle Grinda a lot because you know I'm sure at, at times there is a little bit of a joke, but they always handle her, handle her like a girl. And I I like how they they handle her in this show. Well, they do the thing that I like where it's not really like reality because in reality even even in 2021 there's there's still there's kids kids and kids will pick on somebody that's larger or or, you know different in in some way but what they do is they give her different different reasons for that to you know the more personality based reasons for that being and then they just have everybody treat her like a she's just herself you know she's just accepted as as herself in fact, the only person who treats her bad is um, Pacifica in their first appearance. And Pacifica is, is is introduced as a heel. So when kids see that, it just, you know, that's the thing is like, even if you're when you're little kids and say you're watching a TV show. And we used to have shows like Fat Albert that would teach a lesson at the through the, the show would be a, a would be personality lessons. And then Bill Cosby would walk you through it at the end. Ugh, I don't want Bill Cosby walking me through anything now. <laughs> well, I mean, it was great at the time. Yeah. And, I mean, psychologically and writing-wise, it's, I mean, those Fat Al, actually, Fat Albert was, is more in tune with modern cartoons. It was ahead of its time for, for then. I remember when they used to do the Sailor Moon Says and the Sonic Says. When I used to watch both Sailor Moon and the Sonic, and Sonic the Hedgehog, they used to have those. They used to do that too, but it was almost more like something that they plugged on to the end. Like Bill Cosby, like they sat down with like child psychologists and were like, let's do a thing on bullying. But I always thought to myself, like as kids, you can have a thing on bullying and show that it hurts a kid's feelings and stuff and, and, and explain why you shouldn't bully. But at the same time, I almost think it's be- the better approach is it's not a denial of bullying, but it's a it's it's a more setting of an environment where people are just sort of like, you know, accepting of things and then bullying doesn't come up in the same way. 
It doesn't get it doesn't give the little psychos ideas is what I'm saying, man, because little kids are sociopaths. And if they learn that bullying hurts someone's feelings, they go, oh, <laughs> you know, they go, really? <laughs> you mean how it, and why it's important to have proper representation where it just portrays the world just as it is. And so there's leaves no room for anything other than that because we just see what the world should be looking like. Sort of, but it doesn't have to. It, it, sometimes it do, it's 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 showing the world in the way that it's not. John Waters is my favorite example of it, where he'll have these crazed characters that are outlaws and and doing all sorts of gross, horrifying things. But he shows them as being incredibly supportive of each other, and there's a there's a wholesomeness to it. I'm not familiar with this. John Waters, uh, the filmmaker, most famously Hairspray is his oh, most famous okay. work. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm back on board now. <laughs> Characters on it were like the, his his famous favorite lead actress was a man in drag, and you know he basically he would get all his friends who were all the weirdest of the weirdos and kind of degenerates drug users and stuff like that but he would portray them as having a wholesome supportive life within their world and if they did awful things to people it was awful people like the most awful awful people but there was never any like picking up it was it 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 sort of portrayed a non-reality when you exist in that reality of the the movie or the show or whatever it sort of sets that thing where it's like, why would you bully somebody? You know, what would you bully somebody for? Because nobody's picking anybody out for being different in that world. So the more that people are sort of used to that, you, and it, it, I don't know. And I don't think that you should avoid showing things negative that at all to do. You should show bullying in movies and and stuff like that. But it's it's a phenomenon I've noticed and I've and I I it's usually in media that I really like. You know, I keep thinking um during this conversation about She-Ra, uh, which we'll eventually get to uh, you know, one day. But the new run of She-Ra tackles you know, they they have this world where there's just like a slice of life of kind of everybody and there's no room for any of that because everybody is just is. You have people like Bo and Mermista who are um, people of color and their race never comes into play. You have queer people and their gayness never comes into play. You have Spinarella where she's um, she's a full-bodied woman and that never, like her weight never comes into play. But as you're talking about it, it's like when you set up this ideal world, when they miss the mark on accident, because they, they did miss the mark on this and it hasn't been really fully ever truly addressed. When they don't miss the mark and they misstep, when you have this ideal world, you see those flaws big. And for me, that comes from the character of Entrapta. Entrapta in the new Shira is autistic. She's on the autistic scale. And they really missed the mark when handling her character at, at times because the other princesses fall into the, the trappings of ableism. Because they just don't understand Entrapta at times. And even when she goes out of her way to do things for them... They don't apologize when they're assholes. And that was a flaw of the show, which has been called out rightfully by fans because it just wasn't addressed correctly. And so Shira set this like precedence with like race and gender and sexuality and like has non-binary characters and all this stuff. But like they miss this one thing and it makes it so glaringly obvious against the rest of the show. I don't know where I'm going with this point, but yeah, like 
it's 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 it is a very complicated thing because I think we're starting to move more and more in these like better things of representation, but when it's done incorrectly, it makes it just so glaringly obvious. You know, we talk about Orca and Flicks with Star Wars Resistance. Like, this was a big step for queer representation in Star Wars, but it also missed the mark majorly, and it makes it glaringly obvious. We don't even know if they're husbands or boyfriends. Yeah. 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 (laughs) The thing about it is it only misses the mark if they were aiming for the mark, that mark. You know, if that was their, if that was their goal, it misses, it would miss the mark for people who would want it to hit that mark, but if they, if they... It, it was We're because... We're not aware of they were trying to do it or if they, they were, were trying to do it and they didn't do it or, or they wanted to do it and they couldn't do it or they didn't do it or whatever. They wanted you know. to in She-Ra because with Entrapta, they actually... Her, her main storyboard artist was an autistic storyboard artist, artist and he made sure to like put in... like He gave them notes about her actions, how she talked, how she acted, her emotions, how she didn't like to touch people because it was she was really over easily... like It, it made her very sensitive to things and so like when it just came to like some of her storylines like it was the other writers and creators that missed the mark on her i would rather someone try and fail than not try at all that's the thing is is like what you can't expect everything to hit everything perfectly all the time tv shows are like if they had time to sit down they might be able to hit stuff better but like yeah it's yeah shira set many bars and is absolutely historic and in missing stuff, they also open up a conversation, too, in a show that has gotten people used to having a conversation. So it, it could be easily it could be maybe easier to deal with them missing something because they have creators and a fan base that are like willing to talk it through. But I didn't have anything else for North Northwest Mansion Mystery, did you? Uh, my only other note was I like when Dipper showed up, I'm like, what? He's got ghost busting equipment now. And I'm like, oh, he's got a metal detector. OK. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Stan's metal detector. Yeah. You know, he's becoming fit in with the town. He's developing a character within the town. And that's the Ghostbuster kid that, that busts the bat person, the giant bat in the belfry. Yeah, we're going to actually talk about that with connections to previous episodes, because there's a reason why he is starting to fit in more. So, well, are you ready to read from journal number three? I am. We're going to be reading a lot today, because there's stuff for both the author and for Dipper on this one. First is from the author. Kind of the background for this is the author was starting to kind of like, trying to figure out some of the history of Gravity Falls, which has brought him to this, so... I believe there's enough proof that the Northwest family is history is a fraud. I traveled to Northwest Manor to confront old man Northwest with this evidence of his family's deceit, but instead was met by his snotty son, Preston, and his pet fox, Hunter. Not wanting my well-rehearsed tirade to go to waste, I launched into a list of the family's crimes. Lying about the founding of the town, breaking treaties with the natives, making self-promotion weather vanes. The boy was unmoved until I offhandedly mentioned the Great Flood of 1863. He was so panicked about what I said that he had me forcibly escorted from the premises. Have I stumbled upon one more misdeed of this accursed clan? I put one cover up aside and had began to investigate another. The Great Secret Flood, or the Great Secret... The great secret of the Great Flood. There we go. Countless lumber folk died in the flood of 63, and all of them were under the Northwest employment. 
and it seems that many, if not most, of the cadavers had washed up directly a hundred years before I was ever here. Which might explain why I have so many recent sightings of the undead. And that is it for the author. And now we're going to move forward to Dipper's part of the book. So, Dipper writes, Category 11, Demonic Vengeance Spectre. So you remember how the author thought there were only 10 categories of ghosts? Turns out he was way wrong. You think you've seen true terror? Check out this flannel phantom. Axe stuck in his head from an injury 150 years ago. He can pull it out and drag it on the ground to make your skin crawl. Fiery beard changes from blue to red depending on just how intense his bloodlust is at any given moment. Aside from woodification powers, he can also make taxidermy do his bidding. Good thing he wasn't in the mystery shack. I would have not wanted to see any of Stan's displays come to life. This ghost sure loved to talk. Mainly about his backstory with the Northwest and how they deserve to be haunted. Except for Pacifica. Uh, the only thing stranger than meeting this ghost was discovering that Pacifica has some good in inside. Sure, she's spoiled and mean and makes this weird face when she's annoyed. But she ended up saving me in half the town. I guess despite all her parents' attempts to make her awful, there's hope for her after all. They ring a bell to call her like a butler and punish her with groundings and credit cards cutoffs when she disobeys. She also looked kind of okay in an evening dress, I guess. And this part is crossed out. And when she hugs you, she smells like champagne and flowers and... Am I crazy or was there something, some vibe going on? That was crossed out. The important thing is that Pacifica discovered the lumber ghost's weaknesses. Trapping him in a silver mirror is only a temporary solution. Only a blood relative of the cursed family can defeat the Spectre by making amends for the family's past crimes. Pacifica showed real bravery, man. Still getting over it. Update. And this has a picture taped inside the journal. Crazy thought, but I just noticed that this picture from Wendy's house looks strange amount like the ghost. Could this have been a corduroy? And it has a picture of Archibald Corduroy, who was in the flashback when he was saying his backstory. And that is the journal for this week. Yay! Pipper! Pipper forever! <laughs> you ready for the connections and ciphers to previous episodes? The connections and ciphers to previous episodes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alright, so the first connection to previous episodes. Alright, and this is what I was talking about with the, the guy, like the bat in the belfry. Since the defeat of the B Society of the Blind Eye, the citizens of Grouty Falls have begun to notice the paranormal activities around their town. As Dipper's defeat of the giant vampire back made headlines in the Gravity Falls Gossiper. Because there's no one there erasing their memories anymore. And also, a callback to Into the Bunker, Dipper is frozen in the wood form, and it was the same shape that the shapeshifter told him. That that would be the last form he would see, and he posed in that same pose that Dipper looked like in that one. Interesting. And so, finally, for the cryptograms for this episode, the one at the end of the credits, when it's decoded, reads, Next up on the Used to Be About History channel, did aliens write the Constitution, crawdads and tiaras, and Florida, the show? Florida, the show's legit a good idea. Oh my god, I, yeah, I would watch that. Yeah, and then it would, it would be so popular that you would get Florida the movie. And finally... The flashing page cryptogram at the end 
once it's decoded, says, Stan is not what he seems. Stan is not what he seems. Stan is not what he seems. No, duh. All right, Chris. It's your speculation corner. And, you know, we haven't brought up the ending with McGucket yet. No, but that's just sort of set up for the next show. Did you notice the uh, the wall draping in the background of the Northwest Manor and it had, like, Bill Cipher on it? No, I did not notice that. Oh, yeah. Um, The final shot of the episode, there's this uh, tapestry hanging and it has people in its red with, like, like, it has red and has people bowing down to a triangle with one eye. Ah, no, I missed it. Missed it. My speculation's about the mayor. Oh, okay. I think the I think the mayor's going to figure into this. You got to with a with a reclusive ma- reclusive super old mayor. Yeah, something some something's up with him. He knows something. So you don't have any thoughts about like the countdown or anything and No, I'm I'm not yeah, that's the that's the stuff that I don't mess with because that's plot point stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so like you're expecting something to happen because it's plot point stuff. Well, yeah, they're setting they're setting up the next episode, so it's not clues as much as it's just sort of set up. You know, they're saying, well, next episode we're getting into the main storyline. Gotcha. Is what that was. On Skype, I just sent you a picture of that final shot of the tapestry, just so you can see it. Oh, cool. To make sure you can just see what it looks like. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen with the mayor? Oh, I don't know. He'll he's obviously been around through a good part of the history and he's reclusive, so he might not have been as affected by the Blind Eye Society or he might be in on that stuff. He's he's too interesting a character for them to introduce all of a sudden and have him there. He's too he's too uh he might be a red herring, but he's too juicy and interesting of a of a potential character to just sort of pull out and go all of a sudden like oh here's the mayor look look how interesting he is we've never seen him before because he's reclusive so yeah that's why that's why i'm wondering about him i almost noted the joke when the vulture showed up and he's just like they're my entourage i almost noted that joke in my my favorite part because that that still makes me laugh every time (laughs) like they're my entourage my town used to have mayors like that like I said, I sent it to you through Skype, so now you can see the tapestry. Any thoughts? Yeah, no. So no thoughts about this tapestry I just sent you? Doesn't do anything for me, no. This is in the Northwest Mansion, so anything, thoughts about why the Northwest might have something like this in their mansion? No, not the, I'm sure he's involved because he's a rich power broker, I mentioned that before, but not anything specific, no. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, no. Any uh, the the specific symbology that they're showing in that is not something that you're gonna get until you know until your second viewing. No, I don't get tricked by that stuff. That stuff gets you thinking about about that. You'll know we'll we'll know about what that means later on. I'm I'm looking for different kinds of clues to figure out the other stuff. I'm try I'm working around their edges of their clues. You know what I'm saying? That's that's I'm I'm trying to figure out the writers motivations more than than the breadcrumbs that they're leaving behind yeah because like mcguckett's not even a breadcrumb he's a whole fucking loaf (laughs) i'm very surprised that dipper did not take mcguckett seriously especially when it has to do with the computer which is like a really important thing to 
And he also knows McGucket's backstory now. So I, I was just surprised that he blew him off so easily with news from the the computer. And it was also another one of those things where McGucket's like, there's a 21 hour countdown that would have been instantly gotten Dipper's attention for no reason tells him because it's just a setup for next show. <laughs> yeah, I will say I do like that. I, I feel like that is a touch of character development for, for Dipper because in for this one evening, he lets his guard down. And he, you know, is out of his head. And I think that, like, compared to something earlier, like like the episode Double Dipper, when he made multiple dippers to, just to try and dance with Wendy, versus something that kind of goes, like, he just had this, like, natural friendship form with Pacifica just because he wasn't in his head. I, I kind of like that as a character thing. But, yeah, it is a weird moment for Dipper to be not be like, oh, man! So it's it's interesting, it's interesting, so... McGuck gets a loaf. <laughs> he's not even a breadcrumb, he's a loaf. Well, no, I think at that point, like, I, I think they do it a bunch in the show, is where it's, they know it doesn't make sense, but they're playing within the form of, you know, this is a this is how you would set up something in a mystery show from one thing to another, so they just do their own variation of it, but that, they're, they're almost winking at, at the trope of it. In the last seconds of the show, you can't have Dipper be like, oh, my God, and start getting interested and start up another plot. So and then it gives a McGucket a chance to look at the camera and go, oh, my God, time is running out. So, you know who time's not running out for your patrons? Yeah, and we have a brand new one. And I'm already going to fail this because I said whenever I got, got a new patron, I would write a story. And well, well, to put nicely, some family stuff came up, so I wasn't able to do it today. But you guys will get a story. <laughs> and I would like to welcome our good buddy, Bucho, who is actually a friend of ours from J Guys and Jedi, who is now a patron of the show. Yay. Hi, Bucho. Thanks. Now you just have to get rowdy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Bucho is a friend of ours. He was on a podcast called Send in the Clones, and they were a Clone Lords podcast. It was Bucho and Robbie, and they're both really good friends. And you should also check out Robbie's show, Order 42. He does streaming on Twitch and um, does, like, reviews on YouTube and stuff like that. Highly suggest it. Like, they're both really fun friends of ours. And I'm so happy to have you here, Bucho. Thank you for subscribing to this show and being part of this and everything. And I'm so happy to have you, and I can't wait to talk to you again. Oh, my God. So, thank you so much. And I also want to thank... Jean, Brian, Heather, Billy, Lynn, Patrick, Bree, Alex, and Kate. You guys, your support means so much to us. And actually, this is the first episode we've recorded in the new year, isn't it? I know we're like five weeks ahead. Yes, it this... is. Well, then happy 2021. It's been a crazy fucking year so far. <laughs> <and everybody>. <laughs> <laughs> if we were further ahead, it would have been even funnier because we would have been like, well, we're in 2021. I'll bet you things are a lot better now. <laughs> <laughs> sure things have calmed down quite a bit ha <laughs> and you know stuff like that so luckily we're not that far ahead <laughs> I, I distinctly remember the like an episode a few weeks ago that we recorded and we were like oh yeah this is gonna be out in 2021 good luck everyone <laughs> yeah we should really stop talking about stuff like that on the <laughs> podcast because nothing ages well you know no. accurately or well anymore so it's just like we just have to keep it mysterious you know just totally vague and when we're talking so yeah oh, yeah absolutely absolutely like i think we're like what five weeks ahead but anyway um thank you guys so much for supporting the show i am just so happy to go into another year with you guys and to 
you guys have been here from the beginning, and I love you so much, and thank you so much for the support, and also welcome, Bucho. So, Chris, what were your final thoughts on the Northwest Mansion mystery? I liked it a lot. Even though it was not in the main story, it was very meaty for a paranormal story and juicy, and it had a lot of, it was, yeah, just well animated and yeah, it was it was it was a really good one. It was one of my favorite ones so far this season. And it didn't have Stan in it, and I usually like you know Stan is usually one of my favorite things about it. And I di- I did not even notice that Stan was not in this episode. It, it, it or Seuss, yeah. I and you know I think that goes to the writing. I think that shows like how far they've come with like Dipper and Mabel's writing as well, because they could carry the show without like yeah. having those characters. And I, I like how they handled Pacifica. I, I think that um, Candy and Grinda play very fun support roles. They kind of stepped into like the Stan and Seuss role a little bit because they had a lot of like the one-liner jokes. But it's animated great. The backstory is amazing. There's so much subtext from like society and like race subtext. Like there's a lot going on in this episode. So yeah, this is one of my personal favorites too. Plus, I like it when you get to side with the ghost. So there you go. Yeah, they they did a really good job writing a very sympathetic ghost. And it's one of those things of like, we don't want you to kill, you know, the protagonist, but you're also right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I always still like the line where Preston's just like, there's enough room for and food and air and oxygen for us and the butler for a week. We'll eat the butler. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny because right just before they said it, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, yeah, but the butler won't last long. <laughs> All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's our podcast website with all our podcasts, including the one I do with Hope over there called J Guys and Jedi. And we are, we are. <laughs> what if one day we called it uh, like Jagies, uh, Jagies and Jetty? <laughs> Jagies. <laughs> Jaggies and Jetty. Jaggies and Jetty. <laughs> I'm sorry, go on. Anyway. I made so, myself laugh. Uh, we're covered Star Wars Resistance right now uh, on our way way through that and and then headed towards the Mandalorian. Yeah, or Bad Batch, whatever comes first, probably Mandalorian. Right now we've just sort of landed feet first into, by the time you hear this, we're probably about halfway through season one of Resistance. And you can also find all the Two True Freaks podcasts on Facebook. We have the Two True Freaks podcast and the Two True Freaks Cantina. The podcast is where we post all our shows and get links to them. And in the cantina is where eh, we just have fun. Just have some fun. We are also on Twitter. And our Twitter is run when, well, if you go to Twitter and you look for Two True Freaks, make sure you say hi to our Twitter master, Gene Gene, the Twitter machine. And uh, yeah, that's about where you can find me. Where can they find you, Hope? Of course, this is the podcast for geekygirlexperience.com. You can find all my reviews and writings over there. Um, you can find the show notes for these episodes there. So, of course, there's the patron, because I said hi to our lovely patrons, and they're awesome. We love them and stuff like that. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. You can find me at Hope Molinax on Twitter. And as Chris said, we do have another show called Jag, <laughs> Jag Ease and Jetty. <laughs> And you can find that over at Jagos and Jedi on Twitter. 
Chris, I don't even have to look up next week's title. I know what, we're t- what the title of it is because it's my favorite episode of Gravity Falls. Well, you guys might want to um, prepare for that. Yeah, you want to know the title of next week's episode? Sure. You've already heard it. The title of next week's episode is Not What He Seems. Oh, so th- that's why they didn't have Stan in it. They're going to have Stan featured in the next one. Oh, it is it is the Stan episode. <laughs> next week is when everything changes. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. And we don't go back. Well, get ready, guys. Mm-hmm. Point of no return. I'm so excited about next week's episode! <laughs> I'm so excited! I'm so excited! I'm so excited! <laughs> I can't wait! Can we record tomorrow? No, no, we can't get to record no, tomorrow. I'm, just, I'm at work tomorrow, sorry. I know, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm so excited about next week's episode and you watching it and stuff. I want you to message me as soon as you watch it. Cause oh, jeez. I almost want you to, like, like record yourself, what, like, like just so I can hear your reaction, but I'm assuming you're just a very quiet watcher. I'm sure you're not like me, where next week I physically stood it up It depends out of my on chair. what I'm watching. I've, ju- I've jumped, I jump up onto my seat sometimes and clap my hands if, if if it gets me going enough. When I watched next week's episode for the first time, I physically stood up out of my chair. Like, I physically stood up. Because <laughs> it was just, next week was such a validation of, like, three years worth of fandom. I was doing I was doing that with the last episode of season two of The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah, when Mr. Skywalker himself, Mr. Sky. I was trying to say Skywalker in a very Harley Quinn accent, and it just didn't work. Mr. Skay. Mr. Luke. Anyway, we should go. Bye. All <laughs> right, See you bye. next week. The quicker we get to next week. Yeah, bye guys. Have a good week. Stay safe. Drink water. Take your meds. Get some rest. Try and sleep. Unclench your jaw. Relax your shoulders. Okay, bye guys. We love you. Bye. Yeah, all that.